I know what you're thinking. Oops, this is different. For one, I'm not Solomon. And number two, we are starting out with the sermon today. So it'll all make sense later. So don't worry about it, okay? Here we go. Uh, I want to start off the morning with two questions, if I can. Uh, they may sound a little odd. First question is, how many of you have migraine headaches? A bunch. Yeah, I, I got my first migraine when I was 10 years old. Uh, Solomon also suffers from migraines. As a matter of fact, there's been one time since I've been here that Solomon was supposed to preach and couldn't. It was because he was laid up with a migraine. Now, the next question, um, how many of you have never had a headache? Over here? I, it fascinates me that some people never have because I have headaches every day. And I have for 25 years or more. Um, they're not all migraine headaches, uh, but there are certain times in the day that I have to hold on to something and let the wave of pain roll over me uh, before I can go on. Um, I've seen several doctors and specialists about this condition. I have tried many uh, uh, prescription drugs, and one doctor thought that there might be something nefarious going on in my brain, so I got sent for an MRI. So I go and have an MRI, and Cheryl and I are sitting, and we're anxiously awaiting the results of the MRI, and this is what I heard. Your brain is unremarkable. Now, while that is actually a good report in medical terms, the fact that my brain is unremarkable, uh, it bothers me still. I don't want to be unremarkable. I want to be special. I am five foot, ten and a half inches tall. Do you know what that is? Average. Unremarkable. When I was growing up, uh, I was not the first person chosen for the sports team. I also wasn't the last. I was somewhere in the middle. Average. Unremarkable. When I was 15, however, there was a music teacher who saw something in me and she took an interest. And music has been my one remarkable thing that I could claim throughout the years. But I know that there are many out there who are just plain better than I am. They sing better. They play the guitar better. They're just better. It's humbling to be unremarkable. Do you know what is good, though, about being unremarkable? God chooses, God uses unremarkable people. And that, my friends, is remarkable. Last week, Solomon talked about Daniel. And the week before that, he talked about Esther. Now, both of these kingdom changers um, were around during the exile to Babylon. This is the end of the dynasty of kings for the people of Israel. Today, we're going to jump back and we're going to go to the beginning of this dynasty and we're going to talk about my favorite person in the Bible besides Jesus, and that is David. So, before we do, let's set up the story a little bit and, and uh, go back a little bit further. For hundreds of years, after Joshua led the Israelites into Canaan, God raised up judges and prophets to lead his people, speaking to and through them as God himself ruled over his people. Now, we come to the prophet Samuel. 
and, and there was some corruption going, going on. His sons didn't really follow his ways, and the people started comparing themselves to other nations, pagan nations. And they said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 8, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. When they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. So, you want a king. Okay, how do you go about choosing a king? Right now, look around you, everybody. Who are you going to choose as your king? Got it figured out? Well, this is what the people of Israel did. They looked around and they saw somebody who looked kingly. In 1 Samuel 9, 2, it says, Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. So they chose their king because he was tall and good looking. That sounds about right. Okay, just for time's sake, let's give the bullet points. Saul was anointed by God to be king. Saul reigns as king, and most of the time, he tries to do what God wanted. But he messed up, big time. And God removed his anointing. Now that just sounds horrible. How does that go? I mean, one minute, you are a success at everything, and the next, instant failure. On top of all that, God left a tormenting spirit with Saul. And Samuel... The prophet never goes to see Saul again. But Samuel is really upset because he anointed the king of Israel, and now the king is no longer anointed. So in 1 Samuel 16, 1, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So Samuel has to keep this a secret from Saul, or Saul will kill him. And he makes the trip to see Jesse. Now God has not told Samuel which of Jesse's sons he's going to choose. God will let him know when the right guy from the job stands in front of him. So we see in, in 1 Samuel 16, 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people looked at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Let me read that again. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. I want you to just all read that with me, please. Same thing. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Samuel took one look at Eliab and saw someone remarkable. But when God looked at Eliab, he didn't see the physical. He saw the heart. His decision-making, his emotions, his dependence. Was it on himself and his own abilities, or was it on God and the abilities afforded through him? 
You see, people are not very bright. God compares us to sheep, right? We elevate others because they are good-looking or strong or rich or famous. Most people even start a relationship out this way. I mean, you're standing in a room, and across the room you see a good-looking girl or a good-looking guy, and you've never said a word to them in your whole entire life, and you already have your life planned out in your head together. Sometimes a great personality can come with those great looks, but many times that lovely appearance comes with some very unlovely attributes. And the opposite may be true as well. You may not be attracted to someone physically, and then as you get to know them, you absolutely fall in love with who they are on the inside, and then miracle of miracles, you start to see them as more attractive. And the more you get to know them, the more attractive they become, you see their beauty. Well, Samuel looks at the men in the room as each one passes by. Now, how do you think that looks? How do you model to be king? How do you walk in front of Samuel? I don't know how to do it. I don't know how these seven guys did it. But in 1 Samuel 16, it says, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Now how appropriate that the dumb animals, the sheep that God compares us to, David is already leading. David wasn't the oldest and David wasn't the strongest, but he was good looking. In fact, David was a ladies' man. And we'll get to that later. Now here's where it gets a little weird. Um, David is anointed as king, but Saul still is king. Now Saul gets headaches, like me. And they don't use the same terminology, but uh, the way it is described, I'm sure he got migraines. David was a musician, and he was called into the service of the king to play for Saul. And it soothed Saul's spirit. Say that ten times fast. So Saul kept him in the palace most of the time. Okay, here is where we get to the part that David is most famous for. Kids, what is David most famous for? David and Goliath, that's right. So here's the scene. The Philistine army is set up on one side, and the army of Israel is set up on the other. And every day, this arrogant guy, who just happens to be over nine feet tall, steps out and makes this challenge to the army of Israel. 1 Samuel 17, 8. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him you will be, and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day... I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man. Let us fight each other. Now, it doesn't say anything about Goliath being green, but 
I kind of think maybe this is the first time we've seen this guy. He's in the Bible right here. What would you do? I mean, this guy was huge. And bravery is only half the equation here. You could be brave. I mean, you could volunteer to die for king and country. But if you lose, your people become slaves. The only way to serve your country here is to win one-on-one -on -one with a nine-foot-tall, battle-hardened soldier. And in 1 Samuel 17, it says, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I think I would be too. Meanwhile, David shows up with lunch for his older brothers who are serving in Saul's army. And he hears this Philistine mocking the army of the living God, and David gets mad. So David goes before Saul in 1 Samuel 17, 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Now, David wasn't bragging on himself here, how strong or how clever he was. David was bragging on his God. He said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he's the one who will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. There just didn't seem to be any doubt in this boy. So Saul dresses him up in a suit of armor and straps a sword around his waist, and he says, there, how does that feel? And David moves around a little bit, and, and he says, yeah, I just can't do this. This armor is too big, and so is this sword. This just isn't me. So David grabs his staff and a sling, and he finds five smooth stones, and he approaches the giant. In 1 Samuel 17, 41, meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. 
this very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Well, David made true his promise and killed Goliath and proved once and for all that winning a battle for the Lord is a good way to get ahead in life. All right, David had faith, the kind of faith that can move mountains, the kind of faith that could kill giants. What giants are there in your life? What is there in your life that you cannot do alone? What do you need to do that you can only accomplish with God's help? When you set out to do that, when you set out to do something that you can't do by yourself, that is where you find out what faith is. So David instantly becomes famous. This handsome young man was successful in every way. In 1 Samuel 18, it says, whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Anointed. This is what it means to be anointed. The women sang songs about him. The people loved him. He was gaining in popularity every day. Saul became so jealous that he tried to kill David. Multiple times, David had a spear hurled at him. In time, David and the men who were loyal to him uh, set out and to live with the Philistines. Now, how do you think that conversation went? Hey, I know I killed your giant, but do you mind if I move in? And they led him right into the palace. Well, eventually, Saul is killed in battle, a battle with the Philistines, and David becomes king over Judah anyway. Saul's son, Ishbosheth, also laid claim to the throne, and the battle between the house of David and the house of Saul lasted a long time. But David finally triumphed and became king over the entire nation of Israel. And David was a good king. The reason that David was a good king was not because David was such a good man, but because David knew a good God. David knew that God could do anything. That was the kind of faith he had. He had already shown David what he could do through him. He, he overpowered the lion and the bear and the giant. He won battle after battle. Was David such a, a good military strategist? Was he such a powerful warrior? No. But like Esther, he prayed. Like Daniel, he prayed. When it was time to take action, the first action was to go to the Lord in prayer. 1 Samuel 23, 2 he inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, Go, attack the Philistines and save Keilah. 1 Samuel 38, And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. 2 Samuel 2, 1. 2 Samuel 5, 19. 2 Samuel 5, 23. David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him. 
when God is your advisor, when you have built the kind of relationship that David had with his God, you ask and then you listen. This kind of relationship can only have when you want, really, really want God's will over your own will. Then you will know, you will truly know what God's will is. Okay, another thing that David is famous for is not so good. And we've already talked about David and Goliath, but there's another David and that he's famous for. Uh, help me out. David and Bathsheba. Uh, yeah, David already had several wives and he had concubines, but, but he saw this beautiful woman from the top of his palace and he sent for her. She just happened to be the wife of, of one of his officers. Well, she became pregnant. But to hide his sin, he tried to arrange for the officer to come back from the battle lines and sleep with his wife. I mean, maybe he won't count the time correctly, and he'll think the baby's his own, right? Well, it didn't work out that way. So David had it arranged to have the officer killed in battle. Nathan, a prophet of the day, came to see David to expose the lie that David thought he got away with, but obviously God saw. David messed up, big time. Here's the difference between David and Saul. David repented and sought the Lord, and God forgave him. Saul did not. Saul made excuses. And here's where we go wrong. So much of the time we sin. We sin and then we hide. We get it into our heads that we are sinners, and of course, that's true, we are. But that is not the time to hide from God. That is the time to seek God. You think God doesn't know you sinned? I, I guarantee you, he does. But your sin does not keep you from God. Jesus Christ and his cross made sure of that. Your shame, your pride, that's what keeps you from praying and confessing, repenting. God knows you are a sinner. He has already seen every sin you have committed, and he's seen the sins you have not committed yet. He knows. And for some of you, this may be your giant. And the only way to slay that nine-foot-tall enemy is to go to the Lord and have him take care of it from you. Don't run from God. Run to Every king who followed is compared to King David. David is the standard of what a king should be. Of the more than 40 monarchs who ruled the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, only three are said to be like David. Asa, in 1 Kings 15, 11, Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. Hezekiah in 2 Kings 18.3, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Josiah, he became king when he was eight years old, and the law that had been long forgotten was brought out and read before the king. 2 Kings 22.2, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning to the right or the left. You know, one thing I do not like, and that is for the standard for my children and my children's children to be 
me. I want them to surpass me. I want them to love better, to serve better, to be better. Don't make me your standard. We found out earlier that David was a musician, right? He played the harp. He wrote songs. We have a, a book of prayers and songs and songs that are prayers. David wrote 75 of the songs. That's half. Some of them in lament over his troubles, asking God to lift him up. Some of them lifting up the Lord in praise for his deliverance. David poured out his heart to God on the page. He poured out his heart to God in his actions. David poured out his heart to God in prayer and singing. David set the tone for the future of worship. You know, I wish we knew the melodies and the accompaniment that went along with some of the beautiful words that he wrote. Listen to just a little bit of Psalm 18. Now the heading of this passage reads like this. For the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord these words, of, the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, this, of course, has been translated into English. The rhythm and the rhyme, I'm sure, uh, would change uh, the way that you hear it in its original form. Many think this was a chant, a, a monophonic uh, recitation with a little background music, and I, I don't believe it. This is artistry from a well-practiced musician. And David wasn't a sit-on-your-hands-and-worship kind of guy either. How do we know this? Let's look at 2 Samuel 6 and see the answer. See, David wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to where it belonged. It had been stolen, and much to their uh, despair, had caused devastation. So David was bringing it back. This was a holy event. David cast off his kingly robes, humbled himself before God, and he danced. 2 Samuel 6, 13 says, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. This was a celebration because the ark of the covenant, the presence of God was with them. How could David not cast off his robes, cast off his pride and his inhibitions and worship? Ladies and gentlemen, I promise you, because of what Jesus did at Calvary and your baptism into his death, the presence of God is with you. The presence of God is with us right now. How can we not cast off our pride and worship with all of our heart, with all of our might? One of David's wives, Michael, 
daughter of Saul, was watching her husband from the window. Scripture tells us that she despised him in her heart. 2 Samuel 6.20 When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Going around half naked in full view of the slave girls and his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your rather than your father or anyone from his household when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held high. We're going to take, uh, go into a time of worship. Here's what I want to do. I want to invite all the kids to come down and get an instrument or a flag. You get to keep that, by the way. Come down and sing with us and worship. Bring mom, bring dad. Any adults who want to feel free in their worship this morning, I invite you to come down too. Let's worship together in a way that we never have before.